Hi, y'all. How's it going? Okay, so my name is Ryan. I uh, work with our college ministry focus in Denton campuses. Um, so yeah, for those of you who don't know me, and I am going to be talking today, continuing on our sermon uh, about just kind of stories of Jesus. Um, so we're actually going to be in John 9 today. So yeah, I'm going to just kind of like highlight a few things from this. I know this was a longer chunk of scripture than sometimes we do. Um, and this story, like a lot of stories in the gospel, is of Jesus being a healer, right? Um, I love this section of John for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that in many ways, I think this story sums up a lot of key idea, ideas about the gospel for me in general. And so hopefully as I go today, you'll kind of see why um, it's meaningful. Uh, and I love that this, there's a bunch of kind of different characters in this story, and to me it kind of it can play out kind of like this multi-part play. So I'm going to kind of frame as we go back through this um, this section in that light. So just kind of go with me here. So let's say Act One is verses one through seven. Okay, we have this scene where Jesus and his disciples they first encounter the blind man, and we're told that the disciples immediately jump to this conclusion about the man being sinful or his family being sinful. Uh, and Jesus corrects them and says, neither. And then there's this weird kind of controversial line about it being for God's works to be displayed, etc. Um, there's actually stuff there translation-wise, if that's a hang-up for you, that you can look into. I do think it's interesting, so, but I'm not going to get into that today, but just know you can look up more on that. But either way, uh, we see Jesus once again use spit to heal this man's blindness. Um, there's another blind man he encounters in Mark uh, where he also uses spit. Uh, which I think can seem pretty weird to us now, a little bit gross. Uh, but oddly enough, back then, um, spit was like, it, it, there was this belief it held medicinal power. And so people who were like famous or healers, it was like almost revered in a weird way. Um, so that, I think Jesus doing healings this way was probably an example of God coming and working within a framework that was familiar to these people at the time. Um, but either way, this man, this blind man, has his physical sight restored, right? So he, he washes in the pool of fresh water in their area, and his sight is back. And that is huge, okay? So even more so back then, being blind at that time was just like a walking death sentence. So this man's life would just be viewed, I think, as pretty tragic. There wasn't Braille. There wasn't seeing eye dogs. I mean, he sat at the roadside and begged every day. He would have no chance at employment. He would have no marriage prospects, there was no social honor, and there was no social net of any kind for people like this. So, Jesus comes, and with this one act, he transformed this guy's trajectory forever. And the first thing he does for this man is he gives him physical healing. Okay, so that's act one. Act two, I think, let's just call it the interrogators or something like that, right? So we had the healing. We can assume this guy's elated. Yay, you know, he goes, gets the, um, the pool and washes and all that stuff. And then the scene changes, and we get this glimpse into some of his personal world and how the people that populate that world respond to what happened. So the first group of people is the neighbors, right? So they're in such disbelief. They're just wanting him to convince them that he really is the same guy that they knew as the blind guy. Um, and just imagine that for a second. Like, how frustrating would that be? You know, you're like, no, it's really me, I swear. They believe him eventually, and then they take him to the Pharisees almost for, like, further confirmation. And then the Pharisees, they're concerned about what? Sabbath. Here it is again. If you've read through the Gospels, this is one that pops up. 
So they're kind of confused, or at least they're coming across as confused. They're like, how could someone so sinful as one who doesn't keep Sabbath be the person who healed and did the works of God? It's impossible. Uh, and then we have the man's parents. Uh, and this part, I think, is particularly sad. So the parents know it's their son, but they're so afraid of these synagogue leaders. They're afraid of getting kicked out and ostracized by the leaders that <clears throat> if they talk about this healing coming from Jesus. And then there's the blind man. So this is kind of where the tension in the story rises, right? So the man here, throughout the questioning, he just sticks to his guns. And imagine the frustration again. Put yourself in his shoes. So he's had this incredible reversal of his life trajectory. And what does he get in response from his community? His neighbors are suspicious of him. His parents are not really there for him out of fear. And as far as we know, no one is celebrating this amazing miracle with him. And now the people entrusted with teaching the love of God to him are skeptical of him and just keep questioning. They're so sure this is about sin and not keeping the Sabbath. How exasperating, right? But kudos to him, I mean, he responds boldly. He doesn't let the people around him dissuade him from what he's experienced. He honestly attests to it. Listen to what he says to them as they claim this wasn't from God. It's almost like their questioning just further confirms for him. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He continues, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And so his parents' worst fears are happening now for their son. He's thrown out of the synagogue. But then what happens next? God shows up. This is Act 3. This is a beautiful and I think also sad close to the story. The blind man is found by Jesus. Jesus comes after his rejection and everyone has seemed to abandon him. He comes and finds him. And he asks him to believe. Not just believe in the miracle. The blind man had been arguing that that happened all along. But he asks him to believe in and follow him, to follow Jesus. And the blind man does. He sees him, he believes in him, and he worships him. So as the story closes, we see that there's a parable that lies within this kind of straightforward story. This physical healing also gets extended into spiritual healing. And the physical blindness on the part of the man or I'm sorry, the physical sight is replaced with spiritual blindness in the Pharisees. So there's this weird reversal that occurs. There's a man who once lived in darkness and now has light, both physically and spiritually. And then those who are all arrayed against him have sound eyes, but nevertheless live in spiritual darkness. And if you've read John, this is a theme and kind of a parallel even throughout his gospel, and especially in John 1, where he says, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. So three points about this story that I want us to capture to drive home the message. The first one is that this story portrays an ideal response to Jesus. This story portrays an ideal response to Jesus. 
So what I mean is the blind man here represents, I think, the ideal of following Jesus. He's a, he's a model for embracing Jesus' lordship, right? So we see the trajectory for this man in the story. He experiences this healing encounter. It's with Jesus. He experiences persecution or pushback and questioning from those around him when he stands his ground on his experience. And yet he still chooses to believe. He still becomes a disciple. And when we encounter Jesus, we should know some things from this story. One, that he wants to bring about healing for us. It's a part of who he is. His healing in these stories, his physical acts of healing, point for us towards new creation, right? When great healing of the cosmos and individuals within that will take place. It's all pointing to that. But now it's up to us how we respond when we encounter Jesus. Will we do as the blind man did? Will we stand firm in the face of pressure and root ourselves in our knowledge and experience of what Jesus has done in our lives? And then will we see the face of Jesus and say, yes, I do believe? And will we worship? Or, the contrast is there, will we be as the Pharisees, suspicious, looking for all the wrong things, and ready to reject God if he doesn't play by our expectations? So that's the first one. The blind man represents the ideal of following Jesus. Second thing is that knowledge doesn't equal illumination. Knowledge does not equal illumination. <clears throat> There's, I think, some intentional con contrast in John's writing uh, that I was, I was reading through commentaries on it were pulled to the front for me, and I want us to pay attention to them because I think they're helpful. It's around this idea of knowledge. So twice the blind man says something along the lines of, I don't know, or confesses ignorance. But he stands by his experience of Jesus and is rewarded not only with physical sight, but with spiritual insight, right? He sees Jesus the most clearly of any of the characters in the story, and he has these two interactions with him that completely change his life. In contrast to that man, the religious leaders possess knowledge. Two times they proclaim to know something. And I think the message here is important. The blind man is not portrayed as someone who possesses like keen insight, you know, some prized specimen of intellect or knowledge. But the Pharisees are full of knowledge but knowledge doesn't always equal illumination. These Pharisees are the same group of people who in Matthew 9, 12, boast about how they need no doctor, but as a result, they are left in darkness. And the sad warning within the conclusion here is embodied in the last interaction we see between the Pharisees and Jesus. They've seen the results of this miracle. It's a work they should know can only come from God, and yet they still reject Jesus. They reject him, and they miss the point entirely. They are blinded by their religiosity, or their pride, or their wisdom, or their knowledge, whatever you want to put there. And the consequences seem severe. In the last verse, there's a stark statement. Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, if they would have rejected Jesus out of ignorance, that might have been different. But they reject Jesus out of a place of knowledge. So Jesus says their guilt remains. They sit judged by the very Lord they claim to know so much about. And they miss life. So he says, you're, you're saying you're, you guys are spiritually sick. Your eyes are wide open, but they're sewn shut spiritually. 
And so the warning for us is that we can be so convinced we are right, so puffed up in our own thinking that we reject what God is actually trying to show us. And I do think we have to be a little careful about the implications and applications of this. I'm not at all arguing for anti-intellectualism or something like that. I do think a lot of danger lies where Christians just stubbornly refuse knowledge or learning, and there is even history of that issue in our church. Not our church in particular, I'm talking about the church. So I'm all for learning and intellectualism. What the story warns us, though, is just this arrogance, pride, and skepticism that can kind of well up in our hearts when we are full of knowledge but lack illumination from Jesus, meaning we can bypass Jesus. We can reject him in favor of our knowledge. So I think we need Christians who are full of love and knowledge and are in tune with and step with Jesus, still in tune with the heart of God. We need people who are committed to using knowledge for love, using knowledge to build bridges and for the spreading of the gospel. So remember the message of the parable. The blind man needed Jesus for both his physical blindness and his spiritual blindness. And he ends up with both healed because he was healed by Jesus. And so John is revealing to us a scary but important truth. It is possible to be in the know, to be knowledgeable of scripture and theology and doctrine, and yet not know Jesus. So my question for us is, what could this look like for you today? This sermon is for you and me right now, not for other people or groups. Stop and reflect. Where do I fall? Am I in step with Jesus and attuned to his heart? Are there other things captivating me more, other things guiding my sight more than Jesus? So the point number three, the hope here is about life, and the warning is about darkness. The hope here is about life, the warning is about darkness. That's a contrast throughout John's gospel. We have to hear this both as an invitation to life found through Jesus and a warning of darkness without him. So we should see ourselves in the characters here who live without spiritual sight. Jesus isn't separating here by blind and not blind or sinners and non-sinners. We're all sinners, right? So in what sense is he separating them by? It's by open hearts and closed hearts, humble and proud. So again, the question is, where am I on this? And Jesus came back again to the man after his rejection and disappointment and found him and offered him life, spiritual life. And that is good news for us. That's the kind of God we serve. So I want to conclude with just one kind of main idea. And that is we need to ask God to help us see clearly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a glass darkly. Now I know in part, then I will know fully. And this is not like a flashy sermon. The application is not a stunning twist or a shocker. The application is we remain attuned to Jesus. Be in prayer throughout our daily life. I've been convicted lately, um, just this past Thursday especially, 
um, is that I, <laughs> I need to pray more. It sounds so simple, um, but I need to pray more. I need to filter things through Jesus' lens more. And sometimes, instead of actually going to him, I find all other possible ways first. I'll listen to a podcast that's thought-provoking. I'll just ask someone else what they think, or I'll fill my mind to the brim with different ideas by reading something. And none of that has no place in the life of a disciple, but I'm saying it can't be a replacement for prayer. We have available to us the Spirit of God. And so why is it so often my second, third, or last go-to? actually seeking him out. This should not be so. We are a community, and our community is empowered and on mission by the presence of God himself, his spirit dwelling in us and working through us. And yet we rarely talk to him. So we should expect it's very possible that we don't have clear vision And to see clearly, we have to remain in Christ and seek his view on things, day in and day out. My application is pray more. (laughs) That's it. This is being a disciple. It's renewing the mind. So I want to invite us as a community to commit to that. And join me right now in praying for that. God, we love you. Uh, And uh, I think we can confess that talking to you more is something that we can grow in as a community. So help us do that. Help us to seek your vision clearly on things. Help us to let your lens affect how we walk through our daily lives. Help us to just run things by you, to talk through things with you. Help us to realize we need healing. We need your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Brad, you want to come up? We've got some announcements for you guys, and um, please listen closely because some of these things are happening very soon. In fact, this one is the deadline is today. So, yeah, good morning. I'm Brad. Uh, we're doing college of ministry and uh, cohort uh, this next semester, and so today is the last day of sign for both of those. Um, cohort's pretty involved, so if you have any questions about that, you can ask me. Uh, but college of ministry is a little bit less involved, and there'll be two tracks. One is Old Testament, New Testament foundations. We'll be doing Old Testament Foundations this semester. It's a class that a lot of our apprentices go through. Um, Ian Proven from Regent teaches it. Uh, it's kind of a lot of work, so that's intense. Um, track one, less intense, just kind of currently mi- current ministry issues, kind of with the goal of just training and teaching people uh, a little bit about ministry. So one of the first ones we're doing this month is how to have good political conversations. So there you go. Um, and talking about people, talking about politics in general. So. Um, this is your once a month commitments. Uh, so if you have any questions, just let me know. Um, a lot of options, certainly accessible for those of you who are busy and full time and all that good stuff. Okay, cool. Yes, Manny, question. The once a month, uh, so the track one is Wednesday nights, and that's just ministry issues. A couple articles we'll discuss for three hours. Saturday one is uh, the Old Testament and Testament foundations, and so that's once a month, Saturday, but it's like a good 10 hours of, of lecture that you listen to on your own, so it's a lot more. If you have any questions, just just ask me um, if it's something you're interested in doing. Okay, thanks. Yeah, he means the commitment. The commitment is like for a semester, but you're, the only thing you're having to attend is a monthly meeting. But it's not like month to month, like come one month, don't come the next, like that kind of thing. Like 
It's a semester by semester thing. Is that right? Is that accurate? Okay, cool. Yeah, sweet. Cool. Next thing is the Spark Social is happening this Saturday coming up. So make sure to get that QR code there, the URL, whatever. And this is going to be really cool. So put on your calendars. It is this upcoming Saturday. There will be a reminder in the newsletter as well. But this is the last time I'm going to take to talk about it and remind you about it and tell you not to miss it before it happens. So please go hang out there and get to meet people in your same sort of section and stage of life across our family of churches, all trying to minister to people across the DFW area and people who are working full-time, working in probably an industry like you are in as well, and uh, just navigating this season of life. And, but um, it's going to be free. It's going to be cool. It's, there's not going to be like lectures and stuff like that like we had at the Spark conference last time. This is a social hang uh, thing and, and fellowship time. So um, definitely do not miss that. The next thing is the men's movie night. Sterling, do you want to say anything specific about it or want me to do it? Okay, I do it. Okay, sweet. So, whoa, check that out. Men's movie night. That looks so good. Okay, so this is this Friday night. It's just sort of like a, a pregame for the Spark social, you know? Like go watch a movie late at night and just get in the zone, get in the mode of hanging out. This is, Sterling is hosting this at their house, uh, 1903 Misty with Lane, so definitely don't miss that, and I think the movie is TBD, so come, f- he's open to suggestions, but you know, come for the fellowship, come for the hang, um, the movie may not even be announced, you might not find out until you get there, so it's like, whoa, yeah, suspense, exactly, so uh, don't miss that. The next thing is that we had sort of a roller coaster a little bit with the whole pool party situation, you know? It was like the newsletter, we were like, oh, no, like, the date has to change. What's going to happen? And then, like, probably maybe two hours after we sent the newsletter out, Leslie came in clutch and posted that we had new, new info, which was like, hey, we actually have a place now, and it is going to be, instead of July 31st, it is on August 6th here in Louisville, right, right down the road, basically. So sorry for the change-up, but, hey, we're giving you quite a bit of heads up. So don't miss this. This is our entire family of churches annual pool party ice cream social deal. And it is so fun. And doesn't matter where it happens um, or the date, it is always really fun. And so do not miss it. It's a great chance to get to hang out, swim, hang with our friends here, and also get to meet some people at the other churches as you've been in our community for a while. And the more people you meet at some of our other churches, it's such a cool family reunion type of gathering that is a huge highlight. So do not miss the pool party. And then the last thing is giving. You can sign up to give monthly on our website at dentonorthchurch.com slash donate, or you can give on Venmo. And the things that we really try to do and are important to us about giving is just to invest right back into you, into your growth as a disciple. We're here to make immature disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus, as well as investing in our community, the Denton community, and being a church that really gives back to our community and cares about the needs of our city, and also just the expanding kingdom of God and planting churches around the DFW area as God leads. So um, that, is, that is all we have for announcements today, and the worship team is actually going to come up and sing one more song, or sing a song we already sang again, and I'm going to say a quick prayer while they come up. Um, Lord, thank you so much for for this chance to hear uh, your word preached through Ryan, and thank you for the, the challenging um, and encouraging just reminders of who you are and the work that you do in our lives that heals and opens our eyes. And Lord, I just ask that you would do that work in us as well and help us not to be people who are puffed up by knowledge, um, but people who are really moved and um, 
illuminated and woken up by the experience of your love and your power and your healing um, and the, the work that you do in changing our hearts. In your I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.